0: On the Empire Podcast this week, we man up as Simon Pegg enters the pod booth for a record-breaking fourth time and leaves clutching a prize. Plus all the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that's to a pod historic on the Fury Road. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio or online store for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE. EMPIRE. Once again, on the Emperor podcast, we... Uh, I'm going to go full Immerton Joe right now. Once again... Hang on, how do, you do, how do you do this? Do you cup your... How does he do it? Yeah. Once again... That's not... That's terrible. Awful, you, you're in slightly bane territory. Yeah, I know, but it is Baney, isn't it? Once again, once again, we honour our two colleagues of such lethal cunning... My Imperator, Art Houseyosa, Phil Dissemblian, <laughs> as he brings back subtitles from the subtitle farm.
1: What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's good. No, no, you're so on roll. You're on roll, just, keep going. They seemed like such a good idea. <laughs> just just a, like, subtitle farm.
2: I, roll I with it, it roll with it. I read this
1: this
0: morning, it seemed like such a good idea. And once again...
2: It's full pain. Once
0: again, yeah. we welcome our Imperator, Sorkin Brownnosia... <laughs> James Dyer, as he brings back West Wings from West Wing Town. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you, Chris. There you go. Let's, let's
1: put one in the brain of that particular <laughs> <laughs> um, intro. I um, pretend. You, should we all just pretend that never happens? I know you salvaged. That. You salvaged mediocrity from the jaws of. <laughs> Great disaster. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, well, I think that worked. We'll be doing that again. Quick update before we get on uh, on the Mad Max Fury Road spoiler special situation. Uh, try saying that when you're drunk. Many of you want us to do one. We want to do one. Problem is, the one we don't have a lot of time. We can't record them this week because we're right up against it, lots of people in the pod with lots of pod interviews and day jobs and whatnot. So we've taken the decision that we're not going to do one during its cinematic release. Uh, we're going to do one for its Blu-ray and DVD release instead. And hopefully, maybe then we'll be able to actually get someone in to talk about it as well from a filmmaking point of view, which would be which would be lovely. That would be that would be our dream. ideal Uh, so if that has angered you then do let us know but at the moment we just don't have the time to do it anyway on with today's show uh here are the questions you've been sending in via twitter Uh, here's one from at metafets who says what was the last
1: film scene that truly awed you that left you in a state of awe everybody's gonna say mad max here for for many reasons, not least because it's probably the last thing we can remember off the top of our heads. But I'm going to say our memories are last <laughs> <that's> short, early. <laughs> well, mine is. Yeah. Jason Statham's disguise in Spy. Well, we It um, hasn't or, come out yet, Phil. Yeah, okay. That's but, right. We've seen it. We yeah. can say that. I'm allowed to say that. Right. It awed me. Don't give it away. Okay. I'm not giving it away, but, but it, it, it was an amazing you. disguise which awed me. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jen, you were awed I was by awed Spy. By it. Really? A little bit. Yeah. That, so that
0: had the same effect on you as the, the Star Child sequence at the end of 2001 or the Star Destroyer going over the, the camera at the beginning of A New Hope, did it? Yeah. <laughs> good, I just wanted good. to make sure we, we were on the same page. Yeah. That's a good
1: question. It's a good question.
0: When was the last time that we truly stumbled out at the cinema or or
1: saw a sequence that, that left us agape with wonder? To give it a serious answer, I think... It's a particularly good question because it asks, like, how much, of, how much VFX stuff leaves mm. you with a sense of awe? How much of the... For me, it's practical things when you see practical effects, mm. which is why Mad Max was such a breathtaking experience, because it was so in-camera throughout. Mm. And you see things and you say, how is that happening? Whereas there's a bit of smoke and mirror with VFX, which is fantastic. But at the same time, does it give you that sense of, you know, magnificence? Yes, it does. Because my answer
2: to this uh, would actually be San Andreas, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Oh, Uh, I did not see that (laughs) I bet you didn't. No, no, and as we will discuss later, it's a very flawed film. But there are some sequences in it that you just find yourself with both hands gripping the seat rest, goofy grin on your face, just going, what the actual... Chisel is happening. Uh it's completely crazy. Like there's this wobbling skyscrapers crashing into each other, helicopters flying through. I mean there's there's a lot of spectacle and if you see it on a big enough screen it it is very much like um you know being there. Uh so yes, I had awe and then I had awe at the dialogue but that was for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh awesome or oh, 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 awful. Awesome. Oh, awful. Yeah. I mean yeah. get this different types of awes. Now there's awe for the spectacle, there's awe for for me when i went to see the phantom menace obviously 1999 i was seeing a new star wars film that i had mm-hmm. awe pretty much all the way through that although towards the end it was a different type of awe but uh, you know just just that moment hearing you know john williams score in the cinema something new that i hadn't seen before that was yeah. a magical cinematic moment for me possibly one of the greatest cinematic moments is moments is moments welcome (laughs) welcome golem yes precious uh yes one of the great best moments is i've ever had at the cinema (laughs) world
3: you did it again i
2: did it intentionally uh was in fact seeing that just because it's you know it's a bit special do you think we've been inured to awe by special effects i don't know that we have like gravity had a fair lot of awe in it i think you know where you were you know Mm -hmm. gut clenching there's the spectacle of it the earth spinning around you know Mm There was a lot of that to it. Interstellar, oh. for example, with you know,
0: not the docking scene for me, but the the scene where he's approaching, uh, the singularity, the wormhole. Mm. I've only seen it once. Please forgive me. But Gargantua. It, yeah, and uh, it's a bit obviously two thousand and one y but that that left <laughs> me with a feeling of that. of mm. uh, of insignificance. And I do wonder sometimes if that if that's what awe on a cinematic scale means. Is not necessarily, for me, it's sometimes about a sense of scale, about a sense of of realizing our place in this universe, which is why whenever I started thinking about this question, it kind of made me think back to something like, and this is going way back, I have felt awe since then, but something like um, Robert Zemeckis' Contact, mm. the beginning mm. of that, with with the massive uh, zoom out from Earth all the way through our solar system into other galaxies, and you just get that that idea that oh my god we're you know that the, to paraphrase Carl Sagan because I can't remember the quote you know we're on a pale blue dot you know and this is this is we're so tiny in the grand scheme of things or um to use another uh, example from uh, Contact there's an amazing shot where young Jodie Foster is running down a corridor and then suddenly Simekis reveals that we've been watching her reflection the entire time and I remember watching that going I don't know how he did that now i do because there's a making of but it. mm. it's that when a filmmaker does a shot and i think it's more and more difficult to do uh, these days because we've, we've pretty much the entire bag of tricks has been has been used up mm. uh, when a filmmaker does a shot that you genuinely go i don't know how they did that mm. or i'm in i'm in awe of how they did that some of the stuff carath evans did on the raid for example uh, left
2: me in awe but effects, for, them, for their very own sake, can do that. I mean, Terminator 2 was a film that filled me with awe because I'd yeah. never seen anything quite like what ILM did with the T-1000. So that was
1: a, a hell of a thing. I know I'm going to get laughed at for this, but you yeah. <laughs> yeah, may as well get out of the way. There's a shot in, in, <laughs> in Soy Cuba, which... <laughs> you know, the, what, that was on the tip of my tongue. I was just going to say we, that. i come, come to you in a second. What were you going to say? It, it was awesome. <laughs> but there is there are shots in that that I, you know, there's one that Paul Thomas Anderson directly references in in Boogie Nights where, there's, where the camera goes into the swimming pool. It's, it's an astonishing film from a camera work point of view. And there's so many shots. Are you just like, how on earth do they do that? Especially in, you know, Cuba in, 19, in the mid-1960s. I'm just going to lock myself in this art house cul-de-sac and you guys no, no, just no. Can- <laughs> um, I, Yeah, I don't know. I, there's no substitute for just getting an awful lot of people into the frame. I was watching mm. Waterloo again recently. It's a film, I keep, keep coming back to you. I mean, it's a brilliant film, but there's just a shot where the camera pans across the battlefield and there's like 20,000 people, mm. like Russian army servicemen who are working as extras on Sergei Bondarchuk's film just there, you know, and and I don't think CG can quite replace that, Mm. or hasn't yet, anyway. You always Um, get that feeling, don't you, um, that, you
0: know, for for CG, for crowd scenes these days, you just have that feeling nagging away at you that they skimped somehow, that they got maybe a hundred extras and then just duplicated them. Well, they
1: do, that's exactly what they do. I went on a film set where they were doing a football stadium and they get, they create, say, a hundred characters with different, different attires and they just change the colours on the attires and they kind of just composite replicas around mm. them. And, I, you know, the human brain is that sophisticated and the uncanny valley is that hard to, to span that I just wonder if you can't, on a subconscious level, detect that you're being duped, which I wonder if that doesn't detract a little bit from the sense of awe and, and majesty of what you're seeing. I wonder why a film like Exodus or... or Despite all the modern technology and all of the technique doesn't have the same impact as watching a shot from Intolerance, yeah. even though it's 100 years ago, where there's all of these people, they've got freaking elephants, you know, and uh, a, a, an incredible kind of um, panorama of, of things happening, which are un- obviously uncomputer generated, um, still has the ability to like take your breath away, I think. I didn't have that once in Noah. I don't know why. Yeah. Why that's the case? It seems like they're doing. They must be doing something wrong. If you're not coming away from from like Noah feeling wow, you know. Yeah.
0: And you could be odd on a spiritual level as well, can't you? And I felt yeah, uh, Exodus left me cold in that in that regard, which you probably should because you know I'm I'm not a believer, but.
1: Yeah. yeah. The it, music it, as well. I think the, the music, when the music and the, and the image come together, as they did at um, yeah. certain moments in Interstellar with that great Hans Zimmer mm. score, um, it does have the ability to kind of, you know, it elevates the soul. Elevate the soul mm. for your mind. Come on, come on. And the rest will follow. <laughs> be colorblind. Don't be so shallow. I think I'm moving to stereo MC's lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good. it's good. Oh, well. There, I was it was on fog, is. wasn't it? What? was it yeah on yeah. yeah. vogue for
0: your mind by on vogue
2: that you know that right doesn't, in, doesn't readers. speak wildly well of you why because it's not cool I bite the tipper.
0: right should we, we ask this one last question and uh, is from Carl from Wolves if you were trapped in a lift <laughs> which
2: film star would you love or hate to be trapped with
0: I think there's only one answer to this
2: isn't there I'd love to be trapped in an ATM vestibule with Jill Goodacre <laughs> <laughs> what's an ATM vestibule <laughs> We don't really have them here, do we? It's like, as we just have hole-in-the-wall cash machines, but uh, I suppose you do sometimes, don't you? Yeah. Those out-of-hours sections at the front of the banks where they have a few a few uh, cash points inside a little foyer and you need your little car to get in. Where yeah. do you live? Where do I live? In London? It's you do some... see them from time to time. Do yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. They're not a time vestibule. Time. They're not a yeah. thing. I mean, we don't call them an ATM vestibule.
0: The only, the only answer for me is uh, uh, Bruce Willis. He's very adept at climbing out of lifts uh, although have you you've been in a lift recently i no, have I been in a lift yes um i do wonder if diehard pointed out a flaw to lift manufacturers because i have rarely been in a lift recently where they have the the panels to get up through the ceiling
1: you <laughs> know what it's so funny to say that yeah. every time i get in a lift i always look up and see so if there's I. a way of getting out in the eventuality of some form of terrorist incident is yeah. it american lifts that have them or is it just movie lifts no lifts have them? have them apart from movie lifts
2: but wasn't there a thing, uh, and I'm almost certain that I'm not making this up, where there was a thing that the Daily Mail was raging about at some point, maybe five or 10 years ago, where there was a thing called lift surfing, where people would uh, climb up onto the roofs of lifts and then they'd sort of ride them as they fly up the shafts and it was terribly dangerous and they could lose limbs and whatnot?
0: Well, you know, Amelia us will, will tell you that. Mm. These things are dangerous. Yes.
1: Phil has. I'm just, uh, I've just figured out what you're talking about. Yeah, oh, Phil. yeah, I saw that. That's horrible. It is horrible. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. But then why do they have spikes at the top? It doesn't make a lot. <laughs> From a lift manufacturer. They're <laughs> not well designed, are they? Yeah. I would have a word with that lift manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. Do we need that? Yeah, just in case there's some sort of espionage incident. Yeah. The media rest of us needs to be spiked in the face.
2: Wouldn't it be that John McClane would be a great person to be stuck in a lift with, but Bruce Willis maybe less so? Uh, given what sort of uh, mincemeat he tends to make of journalists these days? I think it'd be all right. I think, I think it'd be okay. I think in a
0: one-on-one situation, when you're both throwing together, brothers in arms, how long do we have? Although he might take all the air. He might just gulp it up so, <laughs> so he has it all for himself. <gasps> great big rasping breath. And you go, no, Bruce! Ah! And you would die
1: first. I think that's how it works. That's science. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it doesn't work. Um, the answer to this is Buzz from the Hudsucker Proxy Okay. My name's Buzz. I got the fuzz. I make the elevator do what it does. <laughs> he just talks and talks and talks and is just a hellish nightmare. You'd kill him. How you doing, buddy? Uh, you'd you'd want to kill him, wouldn't you? You'd want to kill him. Yeah, you would. You'd want to kill him. Going up, sir. and <laughs> yeah,
0: droopy. Mm. Going down, sir. Um, wouldn't want to be trapped and live with him. No, probably not. Uh, or yeah, but yeah, John McLean. Should we draw a line of that? No. Okay. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, do send them in via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast, otherwise we probably won't see it. Uh, you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com, and you can also Facebook us where we are, Empire Magazine. Uh, okay, because this uh, podcast is sponsored by Squarespace, now there tends to be a science bit. That science bit tends to be read up in Mr. Ali Plum, so here it is.
4: Yes, it's science bit time with your friendly, local, regular editor, Ali Plum. Squarespace, of course, is the fun and easy way of creating your own personal website, portfolio, or online store. And guess what? You get a 10% off code with Empire. The word to put in the coupon box is Empire, Empire, E-M-P-I-R-E. It looks professionally designed, no matter what your skill level. There's no coding required easy-to-use tools throughout. It's got state-of-the-art technology powering it to make sure it's secure and stable and not going to like fall over in the middle of the night. It's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. And it starts at just $8 a month. You can work it out. I think about £5 is about right a month. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So, start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, remember, Empire is the offer code. Ten percent off your first purchase. Squarespace, as they say, build it beautiful. Thank you for listening, not only to this science bit but to the podcast generally. Please enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled program.
0: Okay, now it's time for some lovely movie news. Let's start with news that hit the internet last night and had the internet, yay, going way. This is fantastic news. Uh, That Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton is in talks to join the cast of Doctor Strange as possibly a character called the Ancient One, who is Stephen Strange's, he's the Sorcerer Supreme, he's a, if you don't know Doctor Strange, he's a He's a surgeon who uh, through an act of arrogance can no longer carry on in his job because his hands get all mangled up, and so he decides to turn to mysticism and sorcery instead and become a better person, and to do so he becomes uh, the pupil of the Ancient One, who is a well, an ancient being steeped in the mystic arts, and uh, Tilda Swinton is in talks to play this this character in Scott Derrickson's movie, which will be out next year uh so
1: on the surface, what do we make of this, gentlemen? I think if you can get Tilda Swinton in your movie, as the old saying goes, yeah, you should get Tilda Swinton in your movie. That's kind of my philosophy on it I'm quite excited. I'm quite interested in this one. I have to say it sounds intriguing i think it's been well cast so i think benedict cumberbatch is a good Mm peg um and swinton yeah are are you asking about the controversy of casting casting yes
0: a little bit a Uh, lady as a man
1: that the major controversy
0: well no the the main controversy about this uh uh, is that the ancient one is traditionally an asian character it is uh it is a, a character very much inspired uh, by Oriental myths and legends, there there are people who are up in arms about this. They're happy that the the that Scott Derrickson and Marvel are showing vision and casting a, a woman in the role and a brilliant actress, and Tilda Swinton, who will certainly bring an element of strangeness to the role. I think. Um, and she she feels ageless and timeless, doesn't she? And she's you know she's just phenomenal. And We all love Tilda Swinton, but equally there are people who are disappointed that the role has been whitewashed, so to speak. My my feeling about this is that Marvel may have looked at the character the way it's portrayed, certainly in, in the uh, in the early days of uh, Doctor Strange in the '60s and '70s, and like the Mandarin in Iron Man, thought if we go down that route, then this could. This could be a dreadful stereotype on the big screen, so maybe we'll we'll sidestep that and go in a completely different direction. But I can absolutely understand why people are are annoyed about it. But um, I can
1: absolutely understand why people are, are annoyed about uh, the casting. At the same time, it's quite a difficult thing to mm. to sort of talk about. Mm. In a sense, it's a bit of a, a bit of a mine, minefield, really. But I, it's such early days; it's a bit difficult to mm. to comment on it, other than to say that. Tilda is an absolutely fabulous actress. And, yeah, like I say, any film that she's in is going to be enhanced by her presence. As far as the way they're going to depict the characters, because I've got literally no idea. I mean, I, I know a bit about this, this, this uh, particular origin story, and um, we'll see. I mean, the thing is that Hollywood is very focused on, you know, getting good portrayals of Asian characters into its films at the moment for obvious commercial reasons as much as anything. So I don't think that there's some nefarious kind of racial agenda at work here at all. I just think that they've 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 written the character that Tilda Swinton is a good fit for. Beyond that, it's pretty hard to say. I uh, who knows he may have completely changed
0: the origin so he doesn't he no longer travels to She could be
1: from the Bronx. Yeah. She could be like the ancient one already.
2: Yeah. it, it is a pretty well worn archetype though, isn't it? You can understand why they might want to sort of Subvert it ever so slightly and do something
1: different. Yeah, absolutely. You I want think, to get you know, away from Fu Manchu, don't you? For a yeah, start.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, you could. You, you know, someone on my Twitter feed yesterday said, "Well, why not just write? You know, keep it, keep it the original character, the original idea, the original concept, but just write it better." Uh, it's easy to say something to to write it better. Um, mm. it, it becomes tricky in a portrayal. And I know that Marvel were terrified of of doing the Mandarin as written on the page, uh, because it is a, a, a dreadfully offensive uh, Chinese stereotype. Um, and I thought the way that they came up to circumvent it in in Iron Man Three was 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 pretty genius, to be honest. But yeah, you know, we shall see, we shall see. Uh, but I, like I say, all for Tilda Swinton being in more movies. Um, just a, a very quick one to get away from comic book stuff for a little bit. Uh, the not the entire lineup,
1: I believe, Phil, for the Edinburgh Film Festival has been announced. Edinburgh International Film Festival, or the EIF, if you prefer. E. Um, is uh, has announced its lineup it kicks off on June the 17th Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a it's a it's a fun and very movie loving film festival and it's kicking off with Robert Carlyle's directorial debut which is a movie called The Legend of Barney Thompson it's billed as a darkly comic thriller that also features Emma Thompson and Ray Winston um so a gathering of pals there that's a good one um Asif Kapadia's Amy, a film that I've seen twice, uh, is absolutely fabulous. And that will also be showing there. I would expect Asif Kapadia to be there. He's just wrapped his uh, his latest feature film. So he's going to be taking time out from post-production, I imagine, to make a visit. Arnie won't be there, but his zombie drama Maggie will. Mm-hmm. There's The D-Train with James Marsden and Jack Black. That's a comedy. And then there's a Brian Wilson biopic, Love and Mercy, and Last Days in the Desert, with Scotsman Ewan McGregor. So there's a few there. Head to the website, um, the name of the address of which I don't have to hand, but I imagine you can Google it. How's that for service? It's edfilmfest.org.uk. That's exactly right, Uh,
0: that one. Or comic book news. Everyone will be delighted to know. Uh, Chris Pine, who somehow, somehow has managed to avoid starring in the comic book movie, uh, is apparently in talks to play
1: Mr. Wonder Woman, uh, Steve Trevor. That's the worst... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Carry on. That's the worst what? It's just the worst name the for worst anyone. Name. Anything.
0: I'm Steve Trevor. I
1: do much prefer Trevor Steve. No. No? No. I don't
0: know. Okay. I, you know Tell no. me about Steve Trevor. I don't know much about Wonder Woman, I'll be honest with you. We need Helen here for this because she she knows the character. She ran, dressed as Wonder Woman in the London Marathon, for God's sake. Um, There's a bit but- of a
1: Captain America scenario romance between Steve, Mr. Trevor, yes. Colonel... He's a military guy, and he? he's a military yes. intelligence guy. Crashed lands in the Second World War yes. in the jungle. meets the will be Wonder Woman. They have a yes. little bit of a they have a bit of a Bear Grylls Love Island type <laughs> romance, and then that follows through when she moves back to the U.S. Yes, and then they I think you've nailed it.
0: I think you've absolutely they nailed it. They go out,
1: They date for a while. Yes, and then he wants to see other people. Mm-hmm. And then starts tindering yes it all gets a bit out of control the uh-huh. last, i don't know sounds I'm good sounds good
0: yeah no it's fine they all sounded good to me uh but chris pine chris pine. oh sorry yeah chris pine chris pine as yeah. as uh steve trevor would indicate that it's a character that has a little bit more oomph
1: than you might imagine yeah yeah chris pine's a good i mean he's a solid dependable yeah. american type guy isn't he yeah you know if you were going to cast captain america again you might Talk to Chris Pine's people. You might look at Chris Pine. I'm sure they you looked at him first time. I'm yeah. sure, they, you know, I'm sure Marvel were aware of him at the time. Yep. But although uh, you and I would both be fans of having Dan Stevens, exactly Empire, right, Empire the Empire Animal. Spirit Animal in any of these roles. I, Absolutely. I yeah.
0: But well, I think one of the things is that maybe also they're running out of heroes. So if you look at the the DC heroes who've been announced so Batman's taken Superman's taken Flash is taken Aquaman's taken um so that leaves of their, their big ones who's it leave it leaves uh, Martian Manhunter it leaves Green Lantern well, yeah, he'd be a good green lantern a good rebooted green lantern wouldn't he wouldn't he who are you talking about Dan Stevens no Chris Pine oh yeah and in He's terms got a job of, in terms of the Marvel stuff there's who's left of the big heroes that you know Black Bolt in humans it's pretty much pretty much everyone's done and dusted name the
1: u-boat captain
0: that's yeah, him <laughs> chris pine and this tidy greenies so maybe this is you know maybe this is his way of, of doing a, a superhero film without actually having to yes. wear a
2: silly costume who knows but uh decent casting let's shelve the comic books and let's talk serious films for a minute uh let's talk video games uh <laughs> One of the most interesting things to come out of Cannes, I thought, was that they're doing, uh, or rather they picked up the adaptation for It Came From the Desert. uh uh-huh. Now, did oh, either wow. of you, there uh, we go, did either of you own an Amiga? Yes. Yeah. It Came From the Desert, it was 19, I want to say 1989, somewhere around that time. Oh, I don't want to uh, date myself, but yeah. It was a B-movie game, uh, famous, I think, mostly for the fact that you could only play it if you bought the half-meg RAM extension for your uh, for your Amiga. It was quite a demanding game. Really? Yeah. I yeah. bought my Amiga second hand and it came yeah, but it with might It might have come with one. It, it might have come, come had, one of the later yeah. Amigas. Wow. And now we've gone into nerd territory. But I, I've, I was obsessed with this game for a period of time. Uh, it was primarily concerned driving around this desert town talking to people, occasionally being ambushed by giant ants and trying to shoot off their antennae before they killed you. That's pretty much it. Yeah, but there was also a there was like a it's like an expansion more than the sequel called Ant Heads, which was literally just that where the people you spoke to had ant heads. <laughs> I don't remember that. It's absolutely true. I don't um, remember. That. This is um, being directed by Marco uh, Macularkso, and uh, it's it's an odd thing to adapt, quite frankly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm really excited to see it, but the game itself uh, is kind of a, is essentially a rip off of, of of Gordon Douglas's um 50s beat movie Them. And it strikes me that wouldn't they have almost been better off remaking them than doing an adaptation of It Came from the Desert? Unless yeah. they want the Ant Heads, which is entirely possible. It, it, yeah, entirely possible. I remember
0: there being a knife fight section of the game, and uh, like a, a, a bit where you got into a, a game of chicken with
2: a yes, local car bully. Yes, that's and right. And I
0: remember um, all I, the fifty stripes were there. Yeah, I was terrible at games back then as I am now, so I don't think I ever completed it. I'm sure you completed it in like an afternoon or something, and you just. While you were Rick Wakeman in it on a different computer, you were probably completely two games at the same time on two different monitors. But that was exactly what I was saying. Yeah, I was just lucky to get my
2: disc into the drive. The, end is the whole, the whole, <laughs> not a metaphor. Yeah, the whole point of the game was you had to find the ant nest. At which point you ran around with sort of sticks of dynamite, trying to blow them up and find the queen and kill the queen.
0: Don't think I ever got that far. No.
2: Yeah, that's, that's how bad I am at
0: games. Yeah. Uh, is the only game I can do, and even now that's been tainted by corruption, so I can't, I can't play that now without
1: thinking about people taking backhands. <laughs> FIFA 2007, Dawn Raid comes in and takes it away from you. I mean, really. EA Sports, it's in prison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, thought... Helen, our office lawyer, isn't here today. But uh... well, I think that's all. That's all, pretty much. It's, a, it's a all matter you're of saying. Record. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, that thing. What he said. Where's the lawyer? Wait, Wait, press object. the green button. Object. <laughs> um You Shuffle. mentioned Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Sustained. But Helen's not here, so we we'll have to talk about it. No, we want to talk about it because it's exciting. And um, they are looking to cast someone alongside Eddie, some people alongside Eddie Redmayne, but it's at the kind of it's at the kind of. Uh, uh, this is the news they're looking to cast people yeah they've that's, got, well, they've got that's astonishing I know it's a bit vague so not actually it? Fantastic Beasts <laughs> good not good. the beasts the people Sasha Ronan Dakota Fanning Lily Simmons from True Detective and Alison Sudol from Transparent um, are all in the running for one part and then you've got people like Kate Upton Catherine Wardston was so good in Inherent Vice yeah. Elizabeth Debicki from The Great Gatsby and a number of others but they haven't cast them yet so why don't we just tell people when they have okay okay Thanks, everyone, for your time. Stranger for for the the PSA. Uh, Oh, got one more. Oh. Yeah, this is big. There's no Steve Jobs news this week. Okay. But we do have... (laughs) Chips News. I love Chibs. Which I haven't actually read yet, but here it is. (laughs) Vincent (laughs) (laughs) D'Onofrio. (laughs) <laughs> I'm reading That's, now. Let's
0: join Phil in his voyage of discovery as he finds out more about this news story.
1: Stand by your radios. So Hold Peter on. on. Oh, yes, you've dropped the news. Peter, do you have the German Chancellor with you? What's he saying? <laughs> das ist nicht... You don't speak German, do you? Okay, stand by your radios. I'm going to just quickly read this. Stand by your radios? How, you, how do you think people are listening to this? I don't know. On are you aware of what a podcast What's a is? Podcast? Of course I know what a podcast is. Stand <laughs> by your podcasts. Um, Vincent Onofrio is recruited. He's going to be the villain of chips. He's not going to be the villain. <laughs> What's that mean? The he's going to be, be, the he's gonna, chips. He's gonna be the villain of chips. He's going to be the villain of chips. He's going to storm into every McDonald's and squash them flat. What? Arch, yes, he's going to team yeah. up with the Hamburglar. Uh, <laughs> I needed to have read this at Kill. least
2: five minutes earlier Well, I do applaud chips and I hate to piss all over yours This mm. is dreadful Oh, come I, on, this is top stuff
0: I so, can imagine anyway. Vincent D'Onofrio with chips in both hands Somehow, I just
1: like gorging on chips Can anyone... <laughs> Maybe uh, that's just uh, me personally I, I don't want to disrespect this I grew up with chips California Highway, I was raised highway Patrol chips. I don't know what the S stands for Highway <laughs> Patrol... What's the S stand for? Service? I don't know. The R is Uh, erroneous. Ponch and John Baker, they've been cast and and here comes Vincent D'Onofrio. We know that he's a good villain. Mm -hmm. He can do other things. He's a a super villain. He's not a bad guy as you pointed out to me in The Magnificent Seven, a film about which Uh, I'm
0: enormously excited.
1: I'm excited about that as well. I'm I'm as excited about that as
0: you are as excited about Steve Jobs. I'm excited about Magnificent Seven as excited as you are about Steve Jobs. Well, I'm excited about Steve Jobs, so it kind of balances <laughs> it's hard say, out. hard really. to who's more excited about this. Um, and we've we got through this news section. We don't have a lot of time left. Uh, we got through this news section without talking about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen reboot, which we're all very excited about. Um, so, uh, also, to talk about this week very, very quickly, in self-serving, uh, shameless plug news is that there's a new issue of Empire out on the newsstands and available digitally as well. Jim, but is it available on Android? It is on Android. It is Fully interactive
2: on Android. It's also, I believe, on the Amazon store as well. Well, there we go.
0: This month on the cover is Ant-Man, Marvel's Ant-Man. Nick DeSimleon had full, unfettered access to that movie. He was on set in Atlanta. He lived inside Michael Douglas for about three months um, because he was shrunken down to the size Mm. of an ant. I don't actually mean to say anything else Um, and he got loads of great stuff and so that's a fantastic cover feature and there's also lots of other stuff there about some of the superhero stuff coming up over the next few years we also have a a big interview with Channing Tatum, we have a very funny feature on uh, the Entourage Boys where they've been reunited because apparently they're doing some sort of movie together and uh, there's a feature on the man from Uncle. There's a great uh, feature on Rick Baker and the amazing uh, props and animatronic stuff that he has done. He's, he's uh, putting a lot of his stuff up for auction um, later on, I think, later on this month, actually. So if you're looking uh, to
2: furnish your home,
0: this is the opportunity. Yeah, and that's a wonderful photograph. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful <laughs> photograph article, which you can read in your magazine. So that's all good. But I, I guess one of the, the big bits of news as well this month is that Empire has been redesigned for the first time in three and a half years. Our new editor, uh, Morgan Reese, has uh, given it a lick of paint and uh, spruced it up. And changed a lot of stuff, and it all looks very, very lovely. Uh, but we'd obviously love to know what you think about it. Um, so do check it out and let us know via Twitter or via email. Uh, in my section, the Slate, uh, features lots of great stuff. There's uh, there's Sevastov reports from the the Martian. There's chats with Asif Kapadia about uh, the Amy Winehouse documentary. Amy, Antoine Foucault, about Southpaw. All sorts of lovely stuff in there as well. Some new regulars, some old regulars with a with a new look. Uh, Peter Serovinovich, this one's pint of milk. All the usual reviews and news and all that sort of stuff and that's available to buy now all good and evil news agents right uh, our guest this week has been on the podcast before uh, three times to be precise four if you count the Three Cornettos spoiler special but he's been terribly polite every single time it is of course the one and only Simon Pegg who stars in this week's Britcom Man Up as a DeVosie looking for love and possibly finding it I'm not giving away many spoilers, in the shape of Lake Bell. Phil and I spoke to Mr. Pegg this week about a great many things, including his recent misconstrued attack, I'm using air quotes there, on the infantilization of geek culture, which then led geek culture to strike back at him, and then he stri- struck back at geek culture and it all kicked off and it was all fine, everyone's friends now, we're all good. Uh, but we talked about that and we also talked about some of the key sequences of Man Up, including a dance sequence set to the strains of Duran Duran's the reflex. So now you're up to speed. Enjoy the interview. We're delighted to be joined on the Ampar podcast for a record-breaking fourth time. I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> I think the fourth time. By, wait, did you introduce to, uh, by Simon Peg?
3: How are you, sir? I'm you okay? very well. I'm very excited Thanks. to be here on the fourth time. Fourth time. Um,
0: now you said to me that uh, I should bring you a plaque. I did for your fourth time. I haven't brought you a plaque. Damn it. I have, however, brought you a Stormtrooper mug. Get was, off! That was sitting on my desk.
3: <laughs> quite frankly, I always but, get uh, some bit of tap from the Empire Office, and quite frankly, I love but
0: it. My uh, my mouth has never touched it, so <laughs> will, you, will you accept it? Will I you listen. Mean? I'm always okay. up
3: for a Star Wars mug. <laughs> I am a Star Wars mug. How many do you have? Uh, I have. I have got the original poster. The and one, and I've got a Death Starbucks, and <laughs> uh, which is the, the Starbucks logo, but it's the Death Star.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Do you have a man cave?
3: Uh, I have a. That was the sound of me drinking. I was trying to recreate the uh, Kurt Russell, <laughs> uh, John Carpenter uh, commentary on the thing. Nice. Let's, let's click the glasses. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> 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 um. I have a sort of place where I go to watch films, and yeah. uh, it is—it does have the odd helmet in there, of <laughs> uh, um, Stormtrooper, Mandalorian, Darth Vader. Yes, a couple of toys hanging around.
0: Okay, so you—you you haven't burned it after you declared war on Geekdom. Uh- no, the <laughs> other week
3: I declared war on Clickbait them. I think. <laughs> uh, no, not at all, not at all, and um, and that was a that was a, a saga which has now neatly been closed in my blog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> horrendous i've never felt so misunderstood and reduced yeah. to kind of uh, yeah sometimes it feels like you talk to yourself and someone around the air you, I, you know i was in an interview in my house and, and that rarely happens it was so as an interview i was quite comfortable with just sort of chatting very conversational and sometimes you say to yourself oh, i don't know maybe it's all that maybe it's this maybe it and then someone on the other side of the earth goes what did you fucking say and it's like, well, I'd nothing, I was just had a half-formed idea. I was kind of <laughs> workshopping some kind of theory. It was two different things. You know, it came off as, uh, I hate everything I, th- <laughs> I th- thought I loved. It, it just wasn't true. And it was kind of, uh, I wound up feeling a bit bruised by it all. It, it just felt kind of unreasonable.
0: It was interesting watching people deliberately misconstrue what you were saying that day, which just seems to be
3: happening a lot these days. It on. happens all the time on yeah. the internet. It's kind of, people love it. It's sort of... Uh, it feels like something people relish, you know, indignation. Mm-hmm. Pointless indignation. The mob mentality. <laughs> it's the Radio Times for you, I think. <laughs> it is the Radio Times. It's ferocious. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> and they there's no problem on that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: following week an apology piece <laughs> to the Radio Times well it's always been a big part of my life going up um, but, um, but uh, Man Up's uh, I only uh, get it at Christmas to be honest
3: <laughs> yes, but that's only you. for the picture it's of Father c- Christmas on the front and
0: now you can circle the films that you're in as well <laughs> yeah. which is good um, but Man Up's out this week um, I was on set uh, as were you in fact uh, last February so yeah. it's, it's been a while do you need your memory refreshed about? Because we were thinking, we were talking about this in the office. Yeah. Because it, it, it seems to be sometimes uh, quite a long time between filming something and talking about it. It would be Always. like if someone asked us to promote now issue three hundred of yes. Empire. Yes. We wouldn't remember it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it difficult for you to dredge, you know, to, to you know, to go back and dredge up memories? Well, or? obviously,
3: there's a record of what you did, which is <laughs> yes. the film itself, which is enables you to kind of like have some kind of um, recall. Uh, it's interesting because I'm just about to start promotion for M- Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, and I only just finished shooting that. So this is the first time <laughs> ever that the turnaround has been so quick that you know the shooting experience is, is barely left my short-term memory before yeah. I'm actually on the road promoting it. But yes, Man Up was the beginning of 2014, mm-hmm. so it was a long time ago. You just have to kind of get in the mode for it when you when you come to promote a movie. You might have made, I mean, I have. I've made. Three films since well, wow. four films since I made man up, wow. and so it's kind of uh, you know you just have to go back in the filing cabinet of your mind and kind of recall the experience of, uh, of making it, so you can come up with some hilarious on
1: <laughs> speaking of which, can you tell us about the uh, Duran Duran reflex
3: i can 't dance how did you put that how did you put that together well, that was down to a a a great sort of collaborator from the Cornetto uh, era which is Litza Bixler who's a choreographer who choreographed a lot of the zombies in Shaun of the Dead Uh, she choreographed Edgar's video for the Blue Tones Uh, she worked with us on the World's End she did all the simultaneous movement in the World's End she um, came aboard and devised this kind of like it was supposed to be like a genetically implanted 80s dance that we all have in us somewhere that is just ready to come out (laughs) if the right tune comes on and the whole idea in that moment is that Jack and Nancy are having this row, but somehow managing to kind of like pull off this coordinated routine, which they somehow both know. So we basically had to learn this dance routine and then kind of unlearn it and make it as scrappy as we could and then act at the same time. So it was a bit sort of like, you know, pat your head and rub your tummy kind of stuff. <laughs> it was fun, though. It was really good. We, we, you know, we were at the da- London Dance Studios, you know, in leg warmers, sort of learning how to do it. And a lot of, pro, a lot of uh, yeah, preparation went into it. You're expecting some feedback from Duran Duran's army, dormant army of
1: fans. Dormant
3: army? Well, they're out <laughs> so there. from Game of Thrones. A little bit. The dormant army is close. If you've uh, seen the video to Wild Boys, you're not too far off the mark. Eric Fellner produced that. Is who, that right? Yeah, Eric Fellner, who uh, uh, obviously is one of our producers on all the Cornetto movies, uh, was involved in Wild Boys. Uh, yeah. Um, that was so far ahead of its time. I know, absolutely. <laughs> that r- robotic head and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was like Fury Road. Before it before was like out. Fury Road. Yeah. My God. Um, or that rather it was like the first Mad Max's which is mm. what it was really like yes. um, yeah I, I, I'd hope they'd see it as the the tribute that it actually is the, the Reflex is one of those songs that for me at the time when I was a sort of nascent sort of indie kid rejected completely but secretly really loved now as a grown up 45 year old I can say no it's a brilliant song and I've always loved it the orchestration particularly in the chorus is incredibly rousing so, uh, yeah, big up the Geronis. <laughs> <laughs> Same goes for White Snake. Wow, wow. Mr. Coverdale uh, was an extraordinary... Um, I wrote him a letter because we really wanted the song, you know, because it's such a kind of awesome power track, you know, particularly for a grand gesture. It is, it is a tune and a half, and um, Tess had written it into the script. And it's often a dangerous thing if you write songs into scripts yeah. because you can be disappointed. It's happened to me before. And Edgar and I do it a lot. You know, we'll, we'll aim for songs. Sometimes you don't get them. Uh, did that happen on The World's End? Uh, no, I think we pretty much got everything we wanted for The World's End. Um, yeah, we did. But it, 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 it doesn't always happen that way. You sometimes, you know, you'll write, this mm. song happens and it doesn't. And you you write it to that piece of music as well. So the whole thing is almost choreographed in your yeah. head. And then suddenly you don't get the music and it's uh, it can be a big disappointment. But Tess had kind of like... was absolutely certain she wanted here I go again and we really wanted it and so I wrote to David Coverdale and just sort of said please can we use this Do you mind and he was absolutely brilliant and lovely and was well up for it so yeah it's, it's another one of those tunes that you know you say oh it's a guilty pleasure it's not it's just a straight out pleasure <laughs> uh, Naira Park the
0: producer of this movie um, told me that you said yes to the script within about an hour or something like that
3: yeah we were filming yeah. The World's End actually in, in East London and uh, I was staying at like a, a hotel nearby it was the big sinkhole that, we, that the film Climax is in and uh, that's a disgusting sentence um, <laughs> and uh, I was I she gave me the script said read this it was written for Big Talk yeah um and so I went back to my hotel and I had nothing to do but read the script. And, and she'd already said it was shooting in London, which was a big plus for me because it meant, you know, close to family. That's great. If I even like this a little bit, I'll probably say yes because I'd been away the previous year a lot and I, you know, missed home. But I started reading it and suddenly I finished reading it. And that's always a really good sign with the script because generally about 10 pages in you'll start thinking, okay, do I like this or don't I? If you don't even stop to think that, you know you're reading a good script. Mm. And Tessa's script was so sort of relentlessly dynamic and and had such propulsion that by the end of it I thought, wow, this could be really fun. And if Naira thinks that I can play this character, then why not do it? So I was the first person to sort of sign up really. And then we started looking for our director and for our Nancy.
0: Especially, it's interesting because uh, I imagine uh, Jack doesn't appear until, what, page 10 or 11? Something like that? 10 and, so. and a half. Ten and a half, yeah. Did you Do you count? Yes. Do you make notes on your iPad? Yeah.
3: <laughs> like yeah. I'm not in this yet. What the hell is this? <laughs> Throw across the room. Yeah. Did you consider the part of Nancy at first? I did think... It must be Nancy I'm reading for, right? I mean, surely, what other character is there other than Nancy? <laughs> I can't mean. No, I, I liked it because it, was, it wasn't It was my... It's not my film, you know? It's not Jack's film. It's Nancy's film. And I really I really liked the character. I really liked Tess's voice. I really liked the fact that she managed to write a very, very smart male character, which was, you know honest and raw and not a caricature at the same time you know I, th- I, th- I felt like it was it just had a degree of truth in it which I found very appealing and I like the idea of being in a film that was written by a woman and was about a woman
0: you know mm. and uh, you, you, you've, you've just finished uh, you definitely just finished Rogue Nation
3: <laughs> I think so <laughs> I was doing a little bit of ADR for it yesterday um, yeah absolutely um, that was an extraordinary shoot that was a Eight month shoot, and uh, as opposed to the six weeks that it took to shoot Man Up, yeah. Um, but um, never not enormous fun.
0: Yeah, I can I can imagine it was, but I also imagine uh, were you once set the day that the news uh, broke that it was being brought forward by five months. Because yes, yeah.
3: Well, what was that? What was day it? Like, <laughs> was, <laughs> it was. It was like everybody went. What? Quick, <laughs> hurry up! Uh, no, it was. It, I I read about it. I think online, and and, and went in the next day and was like to McHugh, i was like uh chris is this true <laughs> you know? and uh i think when when alec baldwin uh alec baldwin came back over to the uk to shoot some stuff and um <laughs> and said to chris uh i hear it's in july now is that to stop you from shooting <laughs> <laughs> which was a a a a, a very alecky thing to say <laughs> um yeah, we we were you know Paramount were really happy with it, and they wanted to be a summer film, and mm-hmm. and I feel like uh, you know Chris was well up for the challenge of he, Chris edits so quickly, and he's he's got such a, a a kind of certain vision that I think it's easy for him to kind of edit to that. Mm. So um, yeah, it's exciting. I've never I've never been involved with a film that's turned around so quickly. The trailer looks pretty pretty cool. Yeah,
1: um, we know that it's about the Syndicate who are billed as an anti IMF. Yeah. Does that mean that there's an anti-Benji Dunn out there somewhere? Yeah, it's like that
3: episode Just, of Star Trek when we, we, there's, a, there's me with a kind of scar and an eye patch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you're playing both parts? I, I play both parts. Just one slightly eviler than the other? Yeah, one is not so good at IT. <laughs> and, and that's me, that's the good one. Dungey Ben. <laughs> Dungey Ben,
1: yeah. <laughs> In terms of the franchise, it's obviously each film's had its own director, mm. and it started with Brian De Palma. With something that was a bit Hitchcocky and a yeah. kind of an old-fashioned thriller, and it's, it's, do, you, do you feel that evolution? You've been in. This is the third Mission Impossible film you've been in. Yeah. It feels like it's becoming more of a straight action movie.
3: Yeah, but I don't. I think that this film Rogue Nation probably has more in common with uh, the first Mission Impossible than it does with the second Mission Impossible. I feel like Chris has embraced every iteration of this story and kind of, you know, channeled it into this one in a way that. Acknowledges its forebears, you know, and and it, it has evolved. But I I, I think that the the word that was said the most on the set of this movie was always character. You know, I mean, what we've seen in the trailer has been the stuff to wake up the potential audience. You know, Tom on the plane, all that kind of stuff, all the big action set pieces which you put into a trailer um, in order to sort of sell the film. But I think there's a hell of a lot going on in this movie about the, the interpersonal dynamics of, of who Ethan is and his relationship with his teammates. And there's some really lovely small stuff in there which you can't really put in a trailer because it won't really read in a, you know, two minutes and 18 seconds. So um, I, f- I feel like this film is going to be everything in that respect and that it, it will have those giant set pieces but at the same time there'll be uh, really dynamic kind of character beats which will really draw people in. And you get to go in disguise, <clears throat> finally. From the, uh, from the trailer, you yeah. do see me getting a mask ball dove. I won't say anything about that.
1: <laughs> Except if it's not like Mission Impossible 2, there's no doves. Because I'm assuming doves would have made a
3: mess of Tom Cruise in that particular plane sequence. Doves. Yeah, there yeah. one dove smacks him right in the head. That would have been a great little reference to John Woo. He just gets <laughs> smacked with a dove in the face. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you say that uh, you haven't been involved with
0: the film uh, with that quick a turnaround mm. before, but I guess... Star Trek Beyond is going to be along similar lines. It's, it's 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 quite fast.
3: Yeah, I guess so. And and that, that will be... Obviously, we shoot that. We start shooting that in about four weeks' time and then um, I, I figure we'll be wrapped by end of October and then it'll be out in the summer. So, yeah, it's going to be... Oh it's going to be speedy. You know, it, it's... Uh, it's modern filmmaking, I guess. This is obviously important that we get it to come out in 2016 because it's the 50th anniversary and... Um, so we're just striving at the moment to, to you know, get a script that's, um, that's shootable. Uh, where are you now? Uh, page 80. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we're just, you know, we, we've written a draft and now we're just refining that draft as you would in, in any normal writing situation. It's just that it's a very sped up process, you know, things mm-hmm. are being built. As they're written, rather than you know, you, yeah, it wasn't a script that was delivered and then pre-produced. It's being pre-produced as it's being written, which is you know uh, scary. How tempted were you to
0: write opening page interior Enterprise day slash night, whatever it is? Scotty comes in, and finds everyone dead. Uh, well, you I guess read it? yeah, I have read it actually. Uh, this is my movie now. I guess guys, <laughs> I might as well when, take over the Enterprise. One
3: thing I've, one thing I've, <laughs> I've a really interesting thing about writing this film has been when you write an establishing. You know, when you write on final draft or whatever, you Mm. you start a a scene heading is, you know, exterior or interior, somewhere, day or night. So you you know you're basically letting the production know what time of day it's happening. What do you? I don't know what to do when it's in space, whether it's (laughs) night or day or what. Or I mean, it's exterior, sure. So it's exterior. You know, say you have a ship of a spaceship. Yeah. That's not a spoiler. It's obviously it's it's (laughs) going to be in Star Trek. Hang on, let me tweet that. (laughs) What do you do? Is it day? Is it night? I don't know. Yeah. So you haven't sold it yet? No. <laughs> we just generally just say day. I also thought it'd be great to... Question I always wanted to write a, a thing called Star Trek Night Shift, which is the other crew that, that come on when everyone else goes to sleep. Because, <laughs> you know, they're not... Obviously, they've got to go to bed at some point. Yeah. So I have this, uh, you know, about 6 o'clock in the evening, Kirk, uh, Uhura, uh, Chekhov... Uh, Spock and uh, and Sulu, they all leave the bridge, and this second crew come on, and they all sit down and go, "All right, what are we doing?" And they're like, they're not as good, and they're sort of a bit kind of, they're a bit lazy. They got the night shift, they get bored a lot, they don't get into as many adventures. I just there's, think it would be great. There's slight nudity. Slight nudity. I imagine it'd be slight nudity. S- a lot of snacking. <laughs> Star Trek night shift A lot of moobs.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Because you wouldn't you wouldn't keep up with your with your fitness. You wouldn't be as fit as
0: <laughs> Was that your original pitch? <laughs> for,
3: yes. For the, for the Star game. Trek night shift. It was all about this kind of, you know, secondary sub crew. I'd be all over that. That, that, <laughs> would, that would be amazing. But uh, but without giving anything away, obviously,
0: uh, you know, you're you are part of the cast as well. Mm. So does that change how you write for
3: Scotty? Um yeah. I find it easy to write for Scotty because I know his voice, you know, and um, so in the scenes when I um, when that character is involved, uh, I feel a little bit more sort of um, you come a little easier, maybe. But, mm. you know, this this is something that's it's a very collaborative venture, the whole thing. And, and, and despite what was said last week or taken completely out of context and completely misconstrued. This is going to be a very... This is going to be Star Trek, and a very Star trek Star Trek, in that it's going to embody everything that has made this story great over the last 50 years. And um, the idea of it not being... of The idea of it being anything else um, is uh, is just not on the table. The
1: 50th thing, does that hang over it in the way that Skyfall had the bond... Anniversary. I mean, you talked about that being slightly yeah. misconstrued. Nods, specific nods to. to I don't. To well, mystery.
3: I don't. You see, the vast majority of people out there who go and see this movie probably don't know and mm. don't care that it's the fiftieth anniversary. Uh, I do, and I both know and care. And I think a lot of people who love Star Trek will also know and care. Mm. Just for, for those people, and for for the for the sake of the story itself, we want it to be worthy, of of. Of a worthy addition to this sort of uh, story, uh, so it's it's more important to me than it is, or to us than it is to you know, for some kind of grand fanfare that this is the you know because ultimately a, a lot of a lot of the cinema going public just want to go and see it as a movie they aren't necessarily mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, card carrying Star Trek fans but they do love the story so um, it's just about making it it's it's a special anniversary for us I think.
0: Uh, awesome. Simon, thank you so much indeed. Thanks, man. Fourth time.
3: Fourth, time. Fourth time. Fourth time. Give me
0: my mug. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's in my bag. Wait a second.
3: Here it is. Whoa. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's like a coffee cup. Look at that. Look at that. Smart.
0: Look at that. Lovely. Honestly, my mouth has not touched that. Thank you very much. Other bits have. Yeah. <laughs> there we Bruce. go. There we go. just fill that in there and then make it into
3: a awesome. Force Awakens one. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Always good to have the Pegatron on the podcast, and hopefully he'll be back. He's got tons of films out this year, so I'm sure he'll be back at a later date. Uh, let's start the reviews section
1: of the podcast with "Man Up," Phil Katt. Yay! Well, I I really enjoyed this movie. I have to say, mm. I think I think um, that, that there's been a lot of talk about the fact that there haven't been very many rom coms, and that the genre has become a bit moribund. And it's really nice to see a, a sort of an unashamedly old fashioned style rom com on the screen. You know, it's not too caught up in the technology of dating and all that stuff. It's an old-fashioned setup. It's two people that are supposed to be having a blind date, although the meet-cute goes a bit strange because Lake Bell's character is given a book, which is her kind of uh, device with, with which to meet Simon Pegg's character, but it's actually obviously not... Uh, that Simon Pegg is expecting.
0: Yes, he's meant to meet someone he's under the clock at Waterloo and that someone's meant to be clutching a particular self-help book and he meets Lake Bell who is clutching say, it's self-help book but for a completely different reason and he presumes she's his blind date and she decides to go along with it.
1: Gosh, you explain that so much better than me. So hey. that's the meet queue at Waterloo <laughs> Station. <laughs> and it goes from there and there's obviously an element of subterfuge and lies and a, a tissue of lies but it's all fun to start with and then something else Begins to blossom between the two of them, mm-hmm. and they've got lovely chemistry. I think this is a fantastic vehicle for Lake Bell's one of Lake Bell's talents. Um, if you heard her on the podcast last week, um, she's she's really a lot of fun. Mm. She's fantastic. I mean, it's been said a lot, but her accent in this is so fantastically. It's. Not just a good English accent, it's a really specifically regional accent, which lends it, you know, an authenticity. I think where this film falls down a little bit is in the Rory Kinnear character, potentially. He plays the kind of psychotically deranged ex-boyfriend who is a lot broader than the rest of the film around him. For someone that's been in the dating arena in their thirties, there's a lot of there's a lot of things here that you can really relate to about, you know, the sort of the kind of politics and the weirdnesses of going out on dates and, and how it all kind of pans out. And then suddenly you've got this kind of crash bang wallop, slightly showy, slightly silly carry on style performance. And I think Rory Kin is really funny. I didn't know he yeah. could do comedy. He's really no You, you didn't know not he could do comedy. It. Oh well I didn't did know you not he not could watch do Count Arthur Strong. I haven't actually he's seen that. It's so no. funny. He's is a straight he? guy now, but he's so funny now. And he was really yeah. good last year in Cuban Fury. So he's almost I like... No, I haven't seen him in those. But he's yeah. very, very, very good in this. I wouldn't want to disrespect his performance. I just think it belongs in a slightly different movie. And I think it slightly drains the things that Simon Pegg and Lake Bell are doing so well of some of their... Kind of inner potency, I guess. The poignant, because there is a poignant heart to this film. Yeah, it does have is. a lot of heart, and uh, and you, you kind of have to go with it. It's got a lot of fun stuff in it. Um, it's not perfect film by any means, but but I enjoyed it, and I think people have it, people will be able to relate to a lot of the sort of a lot of the things it has to say about modern dating. Um, mm. And it's also very silly.
0: Yeah, it is, and it's well written and very well acted. And the, the two leads have got a lot of chemistry together. Um, it's been a while, I think, since we had a really really nice. Funny. And because it's by Big Talk, The Guys Who Ditch on the Dead, and all those movies, it's earthy as well. It has a nice, it's 15 rated, doesn't hold back. And uh, I like it. It feels very real. It feels like a very lived in movie. And uh, like I say, I, I could watch peg and Bell uh, banter until the cows come home.
1: I think it's uh, probably the best Richard Curtis film you'll see this year. And I mean that as a compliment to Tess Morris, who wrote it, and everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Three stars in
0: for Man Up, which, as you always say in the podcast, is a recommendation. And speaking of recommendations, here's a rock for San Andreas, in which The Rock tries manfully to stop California from collapsing around his ears as uh, the big one
2: strikes. He does indeed. This is named, in fact, after the San Andreas Fault, which runs under California. Uh, and it is basically an earthquake movie. Um, as I said earlier, this this is... It's not a great film, but it does bring a little bit of awe. Uh, there's some. Um I think Dan in the review refers to it sort of taking the California landscape and sort of fluffing it out like a giant duvet. And that's that's essentially what the effects are. The whole ground is rippling, skyscrapers are toppling, buildings are falling down, football stadiums are disintegrating. Uh, from an effects point of view, it really is staggering. I mean, it's very, very real and very, very terrifying. And you do find yourself with this goofy grin just thinking, this is nuts. Um, you and, sicko. When and then taking... people speak. Yeah. And it all comes undone. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it has dialogue that you'd have to you'd have to try very hard, I think, to find a more on the nose script than this. I mean, there's uh, you know, there's there's terrible lines where he looks at college, You know, we're going to get our daughter, and then you know they fly off to do that, and it's it's very po-faced. And I think these films work well when there's an injection of humour in it. And I think Emmerich does this quite well, where he knows it's preposterous. You know, he's aware of what he's doing, and I think the biggest problem here really is that Brad Payton takes it all very very seriously. Uh, and he's The toy Rock toy especially toy. you know he's a guy who is often in stupid situations obviously playing ridiculous characters but he always has in many ways literally one eyebrow cocked a big grin on his face he's in on the joke mm-hmm. and this is one of the first films where I didn't feel I won't say that he wasn't in on the joke I felt he certainly couldn't express that he was in on the joke um <laughs> And I mean, he's in a slightly thankless task. Just set it up. He's a uh, he's a rescue helicopter pilot, a crack helicopter rescue pilot. Who at the beginning rescues a girl from a car that's hanging off a cliff. You know, he's like the best there is at what he does and then proceeds to be the worst there is of what he does, because as soon as there's an earthquake, he steals a helicopter, which is presumably intended to rescue people, and goes off to save his own family. So not not in many ways a, a role model type character. His family in this regard is uh, is his soon-to-be ex-wife Carla Gugino and his daughter, played by true uh, detective Alexandra Daddario. And I think, weirdly, it's those two I feel a little bit the most sorry for. They're, they're in and Helen would be the first to jump on this were she here they're in very thankless female roles in this where they do an awful lot of screaming and they require an awful lot of saving and I think a little bit more effort could have been put into making them a little bit more self-sufficient and more dynamic and as I say the dialogue for this really does clank all the way along and, and you know The Rock struggles to sort of make the most of it but if you want to see a film about the whole of California falling into the earth, then this is probably the one to go for. Like I say, from a visual point of view, it's it's stunning. There's lots to enjoy. Uh, it's just not what I would describe as a great film. We gave it two stars. Uh, mm. So go and see it if you feel like watching some some random destruction. Other than that, maybe give it a miss. Intriguing. And does it feel real? Does it feel like? Yes, very much so. I mean, yeah. from an effects point of view, it really does feel real. I, I was I was pretty pretty impressed actually with the way they. There's an element of invention to it, because it's not just, there's an earthquake, the ground is shaking, things are falling into the ground. Uh, They've got... So they play dominoes with skyscrapers, in the literal sense. They're just crashing into each other knocking them down. The Rock, at one point, is flying a helicopter through them all. There's a good sequence with a boat, and there's flooding. And, you know, they they take steps to sort of ratchet up the tension, because what you do when... You know, the whole of California is falling into the ground. What should we do? Let's have a tsunami! You know, so you add sections of that as well. So it it mixes up a little bit. Um, Paul Giamatti's an odd character in this because he's uh, sort of the voice of science. He's almost like an unofficial narrator. He sits in his little sort of uh, earthquake HQ and sends out warnings to everyone that this is coming and then occasionally hides under a table but doesn't actually get to go out and do anything. Mm. Uh, that's, uh, That's a slightly odd role for him. But, you know, The Rock saves... Two people, and uh,
0: <laughs> and we, we get go. to see a
2: lot of buildings fall down.
0: Two stars in for San andres and very quickly, Phil. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Danny Collins, which stars Al Pacino as an aging musician.
1: That's correct. He plays the titular Danny Collins, who is a man who has found great fame and fortune. He's super wealthy, but somehow lost his soul. Think of it as a kind of geriatric Maguire. Do There's, you see what did, I did there? Do we need to do any more? Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you've just. Um, no, listen, it's enjoyable. It's nice to see Al Pacino doing something proper, you know, and getting maybe a little bit away from Jack and Jill country and doing something that's. You know, he seems to be having fun here. Um, it's a little over the top and pacino in that sense, but um, there's fun to be had. There's a nice cast around him. He's a man who's trying to basically... Uh, he was sent a letter when he was younger that he never received by um, John Lennon, which was basically exalting him, extolling him to go out and follow his creative creative heart rather than the the drugs booze women type stuff and um, he uh, belatedly discovers this when his manager Christopher Plummer gives it to him um, he's had he's managed to track it down and he then tries to basically put this into implement this and make amends with the people that he's hurt in his life um, so yeah the Jerry Maguire kind of parallel is is uh, is probably a fair one it's a four-star film and it's very moving and recommended fun watch
0: Recommended. It's written and directed by Dan Fulgerman, who wrote the screenplay for... Um, Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love and Las Vegas, which is, I guess, along similar lines. If you like those movies, then maybe... Crazy Stupid
1: them. Love, I think, is, is, a, is a really watchable romantic comedy. Um, and he's yeah. got talent, and there's good, good stuff in the script, too.
0: Okay, excellent. And uh, who doesn't love to see Pacino... Who hung it up on the uh, on the big screen? Uh, also, out this week, we're going to have a lot of time, sadly, to at least. We have The Deadlands, which is a, a New Zealand uh, Maori um, action movie, which is the the blessing of Jim Cameron himself, Mr. James Cameron. He's been uh, evangelical about this movie in the States. We gave that four stars. Uh, there's Shanti Chardin in The Connection, uh, which is a uh, French movie about the French connection and that's uh, three stars then we have Sean Harris the great Sean Harris in The Goob three stars for that one as well and then Timbuktu which was Oscar nominated for best foreign language film at this year's Oscars uh, about the occupation of Mali in 2012 and we gave that four stars as well uh, and that is it for this week's Empire podcast in association with Squarespace uh, join us next week for more film related fun we'll have a spy double bill we'll be joined by Paul Feig the director and one of his stars Mr Peter Which uh, until that fateful day it's goodbye from Phil a goodbye from James, and it's a goodbye for me. I'm off to play FIFA until the feds prize it for my cold, dead hands. See you next week. Bye.